You'll please take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Samuel. We'll be looking at chapter 17 this morning. Obviously, we come to a well-known passage of David and Goliath, and it's a passage that is usually applied to our battles. What are our Goliaths in our life that we need to defeat? And I'm telling you that I believe that that is a secondary application. I don't believe that's the point of why God has given us this passage. The main application of this passage is to see Jesus in the midst of it. It's David who comes as the true king in the power of the Lord and defeats our enemy. It's Jesus who wins. So it's not us fighting in our own power. It's coming in Christ and defeating those things which find to be enemies of what the Lord comes and brings. So I want you to have that perspective as we go through this process this morning and look at this chapter, hopefully, from a new perspective. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come to this passage again, give us eyes to see and hearts to understand. Lord, teach us. Lord, definitely direct us to see how it is Christ and Christ alone who wins the victory. And Lord, as we are the ones who are up in the hills on the looking down on the plain, we're the ones who are scared, but yet we are given the privilege to come and be a part of the battle as you have defeated sin and death. So Lord, now change us by the gospel message. Make it fresh and new to us once again. In Christ's name, amen. So the first thing I want you to see is that we have opposition from the enemy. And I want you to see this in the first part of the chapter. So starting at 1 Samuel 17, from verse 1 through the about the time where Mike read for us, we get the understanding of what the opposition from the enemy is. And the first thing I want you to see is the location. So you'll see words like Succoth and belongs to Judah, Asakah, Damon, all these places you would kind of look and you kind of go, well, what does that mean? Well, I want you to understand that for David, this is a place that's close to home. He's living in Bethlehem. And so these places are probably within about 14 miles. So for us, it's like saying, hey, the battle was raging in Palm Bay or Cocoa, Merritt Island. That's where the battle was taking place. So it's literally just a literal a day's walk to get to the place to where the battle is going. And the second thing is it's not just close to home. It's on God's land. It's in Judah. And Judah is a, is a place where, again, God said to the people of God, you go and multiply. This is what I have given to you. This is the promised land. And so the Philistines hate God. And what they're doing is they're actually coming at this point in time and they're hunting God's people on God's land. They're the aggressor. They're coming to us just like the world comes to us. And so you have this place where, again, the location is very close to where David is. It's coming onto God's land. And so we begin to look at what is the enemy doing there. And so the, the reality is we get to see his stature. He gives us the picture of this Philistine. And the Philistine stands physically just overwhelming. He stands almost 10 feet tall. And this is even above Saul, who stood, it said, head and shoulders above the Israelites. And yet, Goliath is out there, a huge man. And only that, it tells us, and it gives us these details, that it said that his armor weighed about 125 pounds. 
So he's clothed in this armor. He has a helmet on. He has a shield that is so big that there has to be someone specifically to carry his shield form out in the battle. The head of the spear is 15 pounds. So this is a man who is physically as a specimen and with his armaments overwhelming. But he wasn't just overwhelming physically. He was also overwhelming spiritually. What do I mean by that? Well, during this time, people really believed that if you won the war, it was because God was on your side. Now, if you um, did what I asked you to do and you read the, the whole part of the first Samuel up to this point where we get to David, you would have read the story back in first Samuel four and five. And again, this is where Israel went over to the Philistines and they started going into their land and they bring the Ark of the Covenant. And it's when the, where the, the priesthoods in shambles. And so they thought it was just a magic thing. Hey, whenever the Ark of the Covenant has come, Israel's won in the past. So here they go. Hey, bring out the Ark of the Covenant because when the Ark of the Covenant's there, God's presence is there. And when the Ark's there, we win. But what happened is that the Philistines routed the Israelites because they did it in the wrong way. And they actually took the Ark. But God's presence is still there because remember what happens to the Ark? It gets taken into the Philistine territory and they put it up and they put it up in the, the temple of their false priest. And what happens? Dagon, the statue, comes, they come out the next morning, he's on his face before the ark. Well, how did that happen? This big statue. So they set him back up. Obviously he fell, somebody did something. Well, the next day he's still on his face, but this time his head and his hands are broken off. It's just the body. God is still God. And so even though he doesn't come and he doesn't make the ark of the covenant magic, God is still the one who is in control. But what happens is now the Philistines believe because they have defeated Israel in the past that their gods are stronger than Israel's gods. They don't care anymore. We've defeated you before and we'll defeat you again. So this is the setting of the person who's standing there. But it's also um, important for us to understand that he gives us the duration. Why? Because, again, what's happening is that Goliath is coming out and he's making threats against the people of God morning and evening. He's coming out and he's taunting them morning and evening and he gives the threat to the people. And this is what he says. Am I not a Philistine and are you not servants of Saul? So choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But I will prevail against him and kill him. Then you will be our servants and serve us. And he did this day and night, day and night. And he does this for 40 days. Now, this is important for us. So this Philistine is coming down. He's making these threats morning and evening. Now, what's the application for us? It should hurt us when God is dishonored. They allow this, as David would put it, this uncircumcised, Philistine to come and taunt the living God morning and evening and nobody does anything about it. See, we are to be people when God is dishonored in our midst or in our hearing. We should rise to the occasion. We should never be overwhelmed by evil. But what happens is this threat keeps going on day in, day out, and it happens for 40 days. Sound familiar? Now, during this period, this is the common number for testing. And so what does that say about Israel? 
They've let it go on for 40 days. They failed the test. No one in Israel was found to go and fight Goliath. And they failed the test. So that's how the author sets the sage stage for us in regards to who is the evil one. It's Satan. And he's tempting us and he's calling us out. Who's going to stand? Who's going to fight? Well, we find two different ways of which the fight is, is um, taking place. One, I talk about the difference between Saul and David. So we all understand what the hype is. Okay, we live in an age where everybody gets hyped for competition. Okay, and hype can mean deception. So if we look the part and we sound the right way, then maybe, just maybe, we can fool the other people into giving up before they even begin. So this is kind of what's going on here. There's a hype. And there's a hype because, one, the king has promised riches. Now, what does that mean? One, I want you to show you that this is a shallow motivation. And we hear this because David comes, and again, he gets there, and he hears the taunts of David and Goliath. He sees how the people are afraid, and he says, hey, what would be done for the people if they beat Goliath? And so everybody around him said, well, here's what happens. You get to have the the king's daughter. You get to be married into the royal family. And you know what? You get to have all of your taxes and stuff removed. You get to become rich. Now, that sounds like pretty good motivation, right? You get to have the kings. You get to be a part of the royal family. And you get to become rich. So how many people have stepped up to take this offer? See, it doesn't matter. It's shallow motivation. It's like us saying, hey, yeah, you can go out there and play one-on-one LeBron James. And we'll give you a couple million dollars. But if not, then you get to die. But by all means, go play one-on-one. It doesn't make sense. And so no one has stepped up. So it's shallow motivation. And not only that, they're afraid and they're discouraged. Every time that he comes out, they run and hide. So all of this is happening. And not only the people are not, but listen, King Saul hasn't gone. Why isn't he gone? He's a mighty man. It told us earlier in the scripture. What about Abner? His general, he's a man of valor. Why are they not gone out? Because all the people are afraid. Now I want you to understand that this is going on. So there's shallow, shallow motivation. They're scared. They're afraid of this thing. And then what happens is there becomes a boy. Now again, I want you to understand for all intents and purposes, David shouldn't be here. David's the shepherd and he's the youngest. So he's not even of military age, which was at 20 years old, according to scripture. So he's not 20 years old. He shouldn't be here. The only reason why he is here is because his dad asked him, hey, take some provisions to your brothers. And there are three older brothers that are in Saul's army. Go see how they're doing and take some cheese to the other people who are in charge of him and tell me how the battle's going. So David does a great thing. And what does he do? He goes and he takes and puts someone else in charge of the sheep. He decides someone to take care of his job. And he goes to the battlefield. So for all intents and purposes, he's not supposed to be here. Why? Because according to the world standards, he's not qualified. He's too young. He's someone who shouldn't be there at all. And then not only is he not considered to be qualified, he then receives taunts from those who know his past. 
Remember what his brother said? Mike, how you read it uh, for us? You came down here to see the battle. Who's taking care of the sheeps? You're just this rotten, nasty little kid who wants to come and watch the battle and watch people die. Have you ever had someone define you by your past? You're not worth it. I remember when you did X. I remember when you did Y. God can't use you. You're here on false pretenses. Can you hear the taunts from those who are in the past? And so Eliab does this to David. And remember, how does David respond? I mean, this is what's so cool about the Bible. He's like a real family. What did I do, man? All I did was ask a question. And here, my older brother just rips me a new one. Come on. All I did was ask a question. It's real life. And so as David comes and he starts to to ask the questions, it becomes a thing where now it gets spread. David starts having this, and it spreads so much that David's asking these questions and making these statements about this uncircumcised Philistine that it makes its way all the way to Saul's ears. And so Saul calls David. Now this isn't... um, actually out of sorts. I mean, we already found out that David has gone to him. David's the one who plays and gives him comfort and peace when he's had the evil spirit come against him and and stuff like that. So Saul knows of David. But listen, David begins to do something very different. And I want you to understand this. When you came before the king, you don't speak. To this day, if you go before the queen of England, who has absolutely no power has absolutely nothing except is there just in a ceremonial role. To this day, you do not speak to the queen. You do not offer anything to the queen until she acknowledges you or says something to you. So this is back in the day where you don't say anything. And what does David do? As soon as David comes into Saul's presence, he says, I don't want people to lose heart because of you. So I'm going to go out and fight the battle. You should be fighting Saul. Do you get that? And what does Saul say to him? How does he respond to David? He says to them this. You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you are but a youth. You're not even supposed to be here. And that man has been a man of war from his youth. He's been way more experienced. You can't win and so he gets discouragement spoken to him by the very people that he went to and said hey i'm going to win this battle for you and he said you can't win the battle but listen this is the difference between the true king david who represents jesus and king saul the false king and saul is so desperate listen that he allows david to go forward what's it gonna hurt if you die today david i don't care I'm running out of options. So I know you're not supposed to be here. You're not even of age to be here legally. So I'm going to overlook that and allow you to come into military service. And I'm going to allow you to go out and fight the battle that I should be fighting. David says, good. So what does Saul do? Well, then Saul begins to try to give him the preparation. He tries to do this preparation. But David says... I've already received godly preparation. What I have had, I have been physically prepared. I have fought lions and bears. I've killed things that are greater than this giant. God has prepared me. 
I don't need to have your words of wisdom about spiritual battles. I know what to do. And I know what to do because I've walked with God spiritually. I know that it's God who's delivered me from the hand of the lion and the land of the bear. David was in communion with God. He knew God. He acted and spoke as the true king because he knew it was God who was fighting the battle. Not him. And so what we have to understand is do we have that relationship with him? Don't look at God as this ogre God who is just like pounding you and can't be brought towards you. He allows us. He allows us to call him dad. Dad, do you know what's going on out here? I'm coming to you. I'm running to you because this is the safe place. That's what we should think of as our God. And so what happens is he says, now I want you to go fight this battle, but you fight this battle in my name. But Saul tries to prepare him with man's armor, which is where Goliath is, right? Do you think Goliath is a a man out there at 10 feet tall that is nimble? He's got 125 pieces of, 125 pounds laying on top of his body. He has someone who's carrying his shield. He has these weapons of warfare on him. And so Saul says, why don't you go out looking like that, not being able to move? So here, come on, remember Saul's head and shoulders above everybody else, but he wants to put his um, stuff on David. David says, I can't fight this way. I can't fight with a man's weapons. Let me fight my way with the Lord. And so what God does is God says, I've prepared him and I'm going to show you the miracle. But he also gives to us something for us in our modern day. He gives to us his armor. Remember Ephesians 6? Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And so in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And then take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. And then keep alert and with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints. And as for me, the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador, that I might declare what I ought to speak. We've been told we, we don't need to be afraid. We have everything that we need to be bold as lions. Remember Proverbs 28.1 where it says, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as lions. That's who we are. You should be as bold as a lion because you serve the living God. And David understood that. And so what David does is he now prepares himself to go into battle. And the first thing I want you to understand is that we, he goes against an overrated enemy. Even though David, even though Goliath was this man of stature, listen, I want you to understand, and believe me, I know this about this football season. Past victory does not assure future victory. So it doesn't matter how many times Goliath has won in the past. It does not matter. Reputation does not matter. His Physical appearance does not matter. So he is overrated. And not only that, his talk is cheap. Remember, he says, what are you? 
A dog that you come at me with sticks? Now I want you to understand the, the greatness of that statement. David says, I have killed the lion and the bear. And how does, the, how does Goliath get figured in here? With a dog. Don't let things like that be lost on you. He taunts him. And his talk is cheap because here, and it's the point, if you learn nothing else, if you are asleep right now, wake up and hear this point. The battle is the Lord's. That's the point of the passage. David comes out to this man and he says, you are a nobody to God. All you've brought to this battle, Goliath, is a sword and a shield and a javelin. You've come against the living God and you are a dog, Goliath. That's all you brought? You've come against the living God. And so I'm here to tell you, Goliath, victory is guaranteed for me today. It's guaranteed. I don't care what you do, what you look like, how many people are there with you. God is going to defeat you today. And all I need is five smooth stones and a sling. And so David runs, runs at the giant. He doesn't wait for him. He crosses the battlefield, takes his sling, and kills the giant. And then takes the giant's own sword and cuts his head off. Now, David represents Christ. So where are we in the picture? We're up on the mountain hiding. What's going to happen? When David has the victory, what does it say about the people? All of a sudden, they're men of courage. They rise up with a shout. Whoa, man, look at that. We're the winners. They should have known that 40 days ago. But now all of a sudden, David cuts the giant's head off. All right, we win. And the Philistines uphold their end of the bargain. They become the servants of the Lord, right? Wrong. What do they do? Pick up tail and run. And so now what do these people who are just afraid of one person now find themselves doing? They pursue the enemy. They get the spoils of war. They lay waste to those who are there. And it's the same thing in regards to us. Jesus on the cross paid the victory. It's done. It's over. The devil and the powers and the demons don't have any power over you. Nothing can stop you. Sin cannot thwart you. Where, O death, is your sting? It's not there. We win. Rise up in courage. Mount up like a lion. Become bold. Because Christ has won the victory. And because he's won the victory, we can even go on the offensive. And that's what it means. The gates of hell will not prevail. We don't wait for people to come here. We go out into the world and we say, this is God's world. And he's still in control. So we go out on the offensive. And we win the victory. And then the questions become, after that, remember what Saul says to Abner? Whose son is David? Now, why does he even bring that into play? Well, because David now has just gotten the victory. This is the man that's going to become his son-in-law. And he's going to have to take all of his family and give them um, riches. And they're going to pay taxes anymore and stuff like that. So what family line does he come from? He comes from Jesse. Who's a Bethlehemite who becomes what? The descendant 
of King Jesus. The bigger question is, who is Jesus? Who is he to you? Is he just, is he just a, a historical figure? Is he just a fable? Is he just something to keep us in check to be moral people? Or is he the son of God who came to give his life as a ransom for us so that we might become the righteousness of Christ, so that we might inherit the kingdoms? That's who you are. You're a child of the king. We are to be bold because he is the son and who defeated sin and death on our behalf. So how do we apply this? King Jesus is all. All to him we owe. Sin, it's just a stain. Christ has washed us white as snow. Become lions for the faith. When God is given a disservice by those around you, stand firm for his name. Call people's lives into question. Understand that everything that we face, we're victors in the battles of the Lord's. Let me end you uh, with this quote. Um, it comes from the movie Act of Valor, which is the movie about uh, the, the seals. Um, and the seals at the end, this, the man was writing about one of the seals who died. And he has a, a young infant son who will never know his father. And so he writes him a letter to tell him about his dad. And he ends with this poem um, from a chief, a Native American chief. And the line that always stuck out to me uh, was this. He said, when it comes your time to die... Be not like those whose hearts are filled with the fear of death, so that when their time comes, they weep and they pray for a little more time to live their lives over again in a different way. Don't sit here and live a life of regret. Oh, I wish I had done something else. Or if I had a little more time. We are called to be people who have the heart of a lion. And this is the ending line. He says, sing your death song and die like a hero going home. Be bold, church of Christ. Your God loves you and he wants you and he equips you. And now he sends you forth, sends you forth to change the world. Do it boldly as a lion because the victory is yours in Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what good words to hear that you use us in spite of ourselves, in spite of our limitation, in spite of things that people speak to us, in spite of our past, in spite of discouragement, in spite of people telling us we're not qualified, we can't go into the battle, we can't win. There's all lies of Satan. We can and we do because we are in Christ. And with Christ, we can't lose. And so, Father, encourage us, embolden us, give us the Holy Spirit that brought Jesus back from the dead to go forth into a watching world, a world that tries to kill us and destroy us and destroy our faith. But it can't because Christ has won the victory. Where, O death, is your sting? Where, O death, is your victory? Christ has won the battle. So Lord, let us go forth bold as lions, preaching the gospel, going to our deaths with no regrets and only looking forward to that day where we will be with you in the new heavens and the new earth. What an incredible day that would be. And all God's people said,
Amen.